yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranelagh, cold butt of a gun put into the back of your skull. That's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm not here to hurt you. A brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. On this week's Big Tech Show, when will cars safely drive themselves on our streets? And who in Ireland is providing the technology to help them do that? We talk to one of the country's biggest automotive autonomy entrepreneurs. I have BMW Drive Assist in my own vehicle, and it is much, much safer because we are all prone to distraction, especially when we're on the motorway from Limerick to Dublin, for example. We've all been there where you actually forgot a whole section of the road. So I would say if you take it from a safety perspective, and it does allow you to kind of relax. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. They were O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald, oh Fitzgerald is cutting back inside! Leicester have another! Darcy O'Driscoll oh. through the legs, Rob Carney, out to Fitzgerald again, step and score! It is Champions Cup final week and Leinster are looking to add a fifth star to their jersey this Saturday in Marseille. Standing in their way is a familiar foe with Ron O'Gara and La Rochelle looking to repeat last year's semi-final and deny Leinster once again. Welcome to the left wing. Will Slattery here with you as always. And I'm joined by a man who is no stranger to Champions Cup finals, Luke Fitzgerald. Luke, how are you? All good, Will. All good. Really looking forward to um, to the weekend. I think... Uh... Two excellent teams, two well-matched teams in, in lots of respects. Uh, different strengths, different weaknesses, I think. Um, and I think uh, so interesting to see who comes out on top now. I mean, I'm just all the build-up. You can see there is a bit of an edge to this one. There's a little bit of familiarity between both teams, which is always nice, I think, in a final. Uh, you know, one team looking to, to right or wrong and uh, another one looking to, um, uh, I don't know, maybe... I, I, my, my sense is possibly that La Rochelle and, and, and O'Garrity, they might have the team that is kind of like the, uh, I don't know, just, just the, the kind of anti-Leinster in some respects. You know, the perfect tonight, I believe, flow. is the cliche you're looking for. The was Kryptonite is the, the cliche kryptonite. you're looking for, I believe. Kryptonite would have worked perfectly. I'd never even dawned on me to use that expression. But I think, yes, I think big, large pack, you know, and I think they still have enough behind the pack to to punish you as well if they get in behind. So, um yeah, I'm so interested to see who comes out on top. Yeah, one thing I was interested to ask you about on this week is kind of preparing for a Champions Cup final and like how different it is or if you found it different to, to preparing for other big games. You know, it's obviously the, the showpiece of European club rugby. You know, there's so much emphasis on Irish rugby place on the tournament. You know, how did you find the week of the final itself? Did, did you find it different to, to other big games you played in? Uh, yeah, it, it is. There's a nervousness to training, I think. Um, you know, you do try and keep a certain level of consistency in terms of, you know, what your, you know, how your, how your sessions are planned, how your week goes. Um, I often found out this time of the season that you're probably on, like on your feet a little bit less and you try to do maybe a little bit more in the video room. Um, and that kind of created a certain level of nervousness for me. I like to kind of being out in the pitch and just... 
you know, practicing situations that you were going to be going through versus actually kind of thinking about it sometimes. And, and that, <laughs> excuse me, that's sometimes what made things a little bit trickier mentally is that maybe it felt like a longer week um, because you weren't on the pitch as much because they tried to manage your, your, your load or whatever. So, um, you know, and you're usually coming up against a really good team or, you know, really good player. So um, you certainly, you know, there, were, there was nights where you're, you certainly were thinking about it a little bit more. You brought the you brought work home with you a little bit more. There's other days where you're kind of thinking you're, you're going into a match. You say, you know what? I'm really sad here. I know this player that I'm playing against. I'm comfortable with what I can do against him. I think he can't mark me or whatever it is. Um, uh, but whereas this one, you could be coming up against like a serious operator, like a, I don't know, a Chris Ashton or a someone like that, where you're kind of thinking, mm, like, if, if I don't have a good day here, you know, he, he could really kind of embarrass me out there. Um and um yeah so kind of things like that and and that's that's probably what makes it such an exciting week for for the supporters too because you know pretty evenly matched teams i think in lots of respects it's i mean look leinster is certainly going in having played the better rugby but i think in a one-off match um let's put it this way the spread has come in a little bit in my own mind uh, <laughs> coming into the weekend just the more i think about what la rochelle can bring and, and where they can maybe hurt leinster um if they if they, they look they have to play very well though i think to to stop this lens machine at the moment but uh I'm, maybe it's just a normal thing um a team you support maybe uh i know i try and be you know unbiased in these things but certainly look i definitely am supporting leinster in it um uh, and maybe that brings a certain level of nervousness with the with the with, with, as you come closer to the big day you know it's been talked about a lot but it's so different to the landscape of last year's semi-final in terms of the, the Leinster team and the squad they have. Like, there's like four or five key contributors who were there. And, you know, obviously, you know, Porter and Furlong maybe both being there too. I just think it changes it so much. And especially if Skelton is only half fit. And I, I, do, I just think Leinster are a better team. Like, another year with this coaching staff kind of drilling them. You even saw at the weekend how the younger players are even, like, so in tune with, with how they're playing at the moment. I, I just, I, I would be quite sure of a Leinster victory at this stage of the week anyway they look hard to stop if they, I mean if, if they get quick ball um and no one's been able to stop stop them getting a uh, quick ball um you know they're 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 so dangerous they've so many threats and I think the forwards are the difference in terms of their open field ability to I suppose take gaps to put other forwards through gaps to put backs into space um yeah that forward unit is really purring at the moment and um yeah, look, the, the one thing I would say is that the, the growth in Leinster's game, there's probably two things that I think, if I, if I, if I think about Leinster year on year and, and maybe the difference, maybe not even year on year, maybe over the last two or three years, they look to me like they figured out the... Um, they're doing something in, their, in, in attack that I really like. Um, I didn't like it at the start, but I think it makes it difficult for those kind of uh, press defences to come up really hard against you. They Normally, when you're in a back line, you try and spread you know, the two backs and, uh, you know, you try and keep your running line square. Right. Um, and so the back, you you want the, the person who's receiving the ball uh, to be a little bit wider so that they have an option to go either inside or outside the opposing defender. If you, it, I'm not sure I'm describing this very well. I hope I am. But if you look at Leinster, what they do now is, um, do you know the, the, the first receiver behind the forward pod, you know, that, that runner has to be on an arc. If you look at all Leinster's players and even the Irish team as well, they're all running on an arc, right? So what it means is if the defense, if the opposing him, like that Saracens type, uh, you know, defense, it's really up and in, like really hard. It means if you, they have to come up and in a good bit further than if the person is out wide and square, if you know what I mean, um, because they're kind of tucked in and um, close to like, so they're all passing the ball quite close to each other. 
and they're running across the pitch. But it means if you're if you're coming up very hard, it's still hard to get there. And it means Leinster oftentimes can find edges um, where someone isn't connected or they have just too far to come in or else they can go over the top and they have time to throw that ball over the top. So that's been something that I've been thinking about for a while watching Leinster that I haven't actually spoken about, but that I really like. And I think it's an interesting way of getting around this hard defence. So I think Leinster are doing that well. Um, I also think that off the slow ball, I think they're forwards this year, to my mind. I think they've t- taken another step forward in their ability to pass the ball and to make decisions there. Um, and that's why I think they've been hard to stop, even though I think everyone knows you know, what Leinster are going to try and do to you. Um, and look, if you slow up the ball in previous years, you've been able to you know get up off the line and put pressure on them, and they've been able to make mistakes in the big matches. And I think they've dealt with that better because of those two things. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if teams have noticed that and if, you know, Raj, who's watching all the games over the next couple of weeks, or sorry, over the, over the last few weeks, I'm sure, if he says, mm, you know, I wonder, can I stop that by trying something different in defence? Because that, to my, to my mind, is the key against Leinster at the moment. Yes, the set piece, if you can, you know, have some dominance there. I just don't think that's enough. I think you have to have a little bit more in the open play. You have to be closer to them in the open play part of the game. Um, they've been dominating teams in that. And I think... Um, there probably is a way to do it, but it means reverting back to an older style defense. You, you sorry, the point I probably shouldn't made before I said that is your defense is key against them. I, I spoke about Munster a couple of weeks ago against Toulouse and how many missed tackles they had. Like the key against Leinster was it was the missed tackles in their defense. Like if you don't do that well in the big games, um, you just can't survive against good teams. So that's the key against Leinster. And I'd be interested to see if anyone spotted, you know, or figured out a way to stop them um, getting around them and, and punching holes uh, in their defense. Cause no one's been able to do it. No one's been even close to doing it. I think will this season so far. I think as well, like the, you know, some of the things you mentioned there comes with kind of the cohesion with which they play. And, you know, I think interestingly, this last period from the you know, last 16 onwards is kind of the first time this Leinster team have really got to play for an extended period of time. I know like they didn't obviously play at the weekend, but they had like one weekend off, but they played back to back against Connacht, back to back Leicester to lose. I know they are the bulk of the Irish team, but they don't have the, the same coaching staff and there's a few new faces. Like they've actually got like a lot of kind of time on the pitch in, in live games together. And I think they've looked better every week. Mm. You know, Leicester, obviously, you know, Leicester versus the Connacht game, obviously, it's not really comparable in terms of the opposition, but just in terms of the, you know, how they played for the first half in particular, and then the Toulouse game, I think they're just growing as a team because they've got to play more together, even though they play a lot with Ireland. Like, it, it is different still, isn't it? I think. Yeah, no, I think it is. Like, look, I've always been concerned with Leinster sometimes that the last couple of years that exactly what you're saying, they kind of rotate the squad an awful lot, um, which means that, you know, when you're when you're playing against average enough opposition or or good opposition, better than average, uh, oftentimes you come out on top because you've got 23 people who are, you know, playing regularly, excellent players, and they know each other's games well. But I think when you get to the like real knockout stages, you're going to have 23 guys who are playing together you know, as you say, regularly or a bit more regularly than Leinster have. And you've got to know each other that little bit more intimately than, say, you would if there was kind of... No, no, look, Leinster have still played 60 guys this season, but for whatever reason, I agree with you and um, that they've been able to, I think, in the bigger games, play a more consistent unit. And I think it, it has been showing. I also think what makes a massive difference, and we've got to, you know, we've got to call it as we see it, Sexton playing. Like it makes a huge difference. Like he, if he's playing, I'm playing so well as well. Play. Oh, look, I I don't recall. Maybe there's been one or two other periods where maybe he has been playing at a higher level than this, but I'm not sure it's by much. And I think he's really, with the experience, um, 
he just his game is just so much based around his ball handling ability and his ability to see holes. And I think he's managed to keep himself in very good physical condition for whatever reason this year. He just seems to be managing himself very well or has got a bit of luck or whatever it is that you need. Um, and I've been so impressed with him. He just looks so calm. Um, he's really at ease with his game. He looks like he's playing more with the guys around him and for longer periods on the pitch as well. That's important to note, I think, as well. Um, and I think what happens off the back of that is everyone's so comfortable playing with him because they know him a bit better. They've been playing in the heat with him a little bit longer uh, in, in big games. So um, he's a key guy. I mean, if he can stay on the pitch, I just feel like Leinster, even if, um, you know, Furlong and uh, Lower out, who are, you know, have become very key characters in this Leinster team, and will cause a problem for, for the Leinster pack if, if, if uh, Furlong, sorry, obviously will cause a problem for the Leinster pack if he's out. Sexton, I think, bridges all those things for you, doesn't he? Because he's just so, he's a big game player as well. I always feel like he's a guy in the big game that for whatever reason just is able to raise, like, you know, he might miss a kick for, you know, he might miss a kick in a small game, but he just never seems to miss one in the big ones. I don't know about you. I can only recall one big one in his whole career where he, he, he missed one. And I think... Um, that's something that, that will play in the final um, against this La Rochelle team. They don't have anyone that has that kind of experience that he has. Um, and um, yeah, I expect even with a few injuries that he'd be able to rise to the occasion and drag everyone else through with him. Yeah, I just think from the end of the Six Nations or middle of the Six Nations last year, 2021, up until now, he's just been playing really, really well. I, I did think that like a lot of players kind of around the 2019 World Cup, you know, maybe post that, he, he suffered a bit of a dip in form you know, as I said, I like thought a lot they managed him too much. Did you think? I thought they managed. They were too scared of playing him. You know, in the last twenty minutes in a game, which is, you can't do. Like as soon as the level goes up and the pace goes up, if you haven't played in two, in enough of those twenty minutes, um, you know, and it was because he was actually injured an awful lot of the time. An awful lot of the time, it was actually they were just wrapping him in cotton wool, thinking that oh, Jesus, like I mean, how crazy would it be to lose sex because he's so important? Um, you know, if we play him in a game, say you're 10 or 15 points ahead and you're looking comfortable, they were just pulling him every single time off the pitch. And to my mind, I thought that was a bit crazy. Like, I, it's funny, by doing that and not taking the risk with him, you build up risks in other areas, Will, where, you know, Sexton hasn't been, hasn't played the 80 minutes, hasn't gone deep in a game for you. And players aren't used to playing with him deep in a game. Because one thing I always thought he was brilliant at, he's a really brave player. He will continue to, if there's a, if there's a right decision in the first minute of the game, he's going to take it. But he's, if it's the right decision in the 80th minute of the game, he will still take it. Um, and I always admire that about him. I always felt he got a little bit of that from Felipe, who was probably, you know, look, he's a bit more of an emotional player than Johnny, maybe slightly. Um, but they both have that similarity about him. Very, very brave. Would, would still make a, like if it's, if it's the right call to run it on 79 minutes when you're, you know, four points ahead, the both of them will still do it and expect you to deliver. Um, and I think you need to play with guys in those periods and games to, to get used to that, I think. Um, plus, you also build up match fitness and it makes you better for the other 60 minutes if you played a few 80 minutes too. So, um, yeah, I think that's been a, a feature uh, of why he's playing so well is that he's played a bit longer into a few games. Uh, and what about him on, say, the week of a final? Like, you obviously were involved in a couple of uh, finals that he, you know, was a key guy in as well. Like, he's obviously known behind the scenes as a big driver of standards. Like, does he kick it up a notch as well the week of a final? Is he on people more or, or is he just kind of always the same? I think he's consistent. I think he's really consistent, Will. Um, and him having been fit will have helped as well all, you know, for most of for not all of the season, but for a large portion of the season because those standards then are with you on a more weekly basis. Um, so that does help. You know, it's not sometimes, Will, it's not necessarily the week of. Oftentimes it's the build up to it. Um, you know, you kind of ingrain these habits 
um, and they become just another. That ju- it just becomes a maybe a bit more of an, like an, another week, and and big games. It becomes just something that you deliver every week. It's not something that you have to worry about with, with the, a lot of this, you know, this Lancer team. And I think he would have helped building those good habits alongside, of course, like a brilliant coaching staff. Like we we probably don't mention it enough, but it is a brilliant coaching staff, like very talented uh, group. Um, I think ahead of their ahead of the game in some respects as well. Um, but they also have a very look. They're they're working with good raw materials. We we can't you know we can't leave that leave that there unsaid. But I do, I do think you still have to manage those things well, and they've done it brilliantly. Um, yeah. been very very consistent, and I think look look like they're going to probably. Uh, well, I think at this point in time they look like they're the team that uh, that's going to go ahead and win this thing, and I think it's still a big step to take, even with all the raw materials they have. Yeah, like the, you know, the coaching staff is an interesting one. Like that, you know, a lot of them have been there for a number of years. I think Stuart Lancaster's into his sixth season. Leo Cullen his seventh, and like Lancaster in particular is an interesting one in terms of like I wonder, like you wonder how long will he stay at Leinster? He's obviously done such a good job, as you say, great raw materials, unbelievable setup. But you would think at some stage he'd want to maybe go back to England potentially and take on a big job or. Maybe, I don't know, another big job in Ireland potentially if it becomes available at some stage. But given how they're playing at the moment, it, it doesn't maybe look like that might come available anytime soon. So it is, he's a really interesting guy, I think, in terms of what he might do next. Although he's given no indication as yet that he, he kind of wants to leave. I, I don't know why he would, Will. I think he's got a brilliant set of, he's got a great set up here. I'm sure they're paying him very well because, look, let's face it. Um, you know, I think he's got good bargaining power in the in like most of the Irish team are from, are, you know, coming from the Leinster, uh, the Leinster group. He's the guy who's kind of overseeing them on a week to week basis. And you can see the massive improvement that he makes or impact that he's made and the other coaches, of course, uh, on the younger players coming through. And I think he's probably also going to come into a period where he will have a new challenge. He'll have a few guys, kind of key guys retiring, I think. Um, and it'll be int- like, I think the job is still interesting because he'll have to bring the next crop through. So, you know, he could become the Fergie or he could become the Guinovez or kind of these guys uh, who, who've hung around for a long time and have a massive impact because, you know, we don't know if like Leo might want to stay, but we don't know that he does. Um, and I would say he's, look, you never want to get in too much of a comfort zone, but I don't think he'll be able to because, as I said, I think he's coming to a period in the next two or three years where there will be a little bit of turnover of players. Um, and of course, it's still nice to be in there winning things week in, week out. You're like going over and risking going over. Like, oh, and I think he can also claim, you know, um, ownership over, and himself and of course Leo as well, can claim ownership over the, the turnaround in the squad and how competitive they've been and a lot of the silverware. So it can be hard to turn those reins over to someone else. And I think there will be, as I said, new challenges for them in the player group. So um, I think that's probably why we haven't heard. And also, sorry, I should say before I move on to the next point, uh, there will be some turnover in the coaching staff so that they'll get a few new people in. They'll probably learn a few new ideas, a few new ways to, to think about things. They'll also be able to coach up another coach, which I'm sure, I, I just feel like Lancaster really enjoys that part of it too. It's not just about coaching up the players. I think he loves the the personal development of of kind of impacting the personal development of everyone in the setup. And, and um, they, they both you know, he is like... he's loved here. Like he it's it's nice to go somewhere where people really appreciate you. Um and going back over to the UK, yeah, look, there's I'm sure there's there's you know it's obviously home for him. But at the same time, I think his kids are kind of grown up a little bit. I think Dublin is a lovely city, is a real good quality of life here. I think as I said, um, you know, he's kind of people love him here. 
you know, he's had a massive impact. So, um, yeah, I'd be interested to see if he goes ahead and does that. But um, I don't really see any other jobs that really would appeal to me over there. And I think what he has over here is hard to get. So uh, I'm sure he's thought about that because I know, I'm pretty sure from behind the scenes, that from, from what I hear, he has had a few offers that he, he hasn't accepted. So he must feel uh, similarly about it. Yeah, because another interesting part of, you know, the the role that himself and Leo Cullen have, and it was in evidence at the weekend, is kind of, obviously, they want to win the Champions Cup and the URC, but then there's huge portions of the season, you know, probably more than 50% and at, at some t- stages that, like, they're dealing with a completely different squad, like the guys who played at the weekend and who played really well against Munster, and they both seem to derive a lot of satisfaction from just reading their comments and listening to them in kind of coaching the entire squad, using the 60 players they've used, you know, this year. You know, Ben Murphy, number 60 at the weekend, and then even a young guy like Cormac Foley playing really is that, well. Is that a record, by the way, can I ask you? The 60 players for Leinster? Yeah, it's, it's, it's Leinster's highest. Like, yeah, they have, it, they, yeah, I think they've hit high 50s. I think 60 is the highest that's they what I get. Think, too. I, think. Sorry, I just want to, I thought you'd, you'd know. Yeah, in fairness, yeah, I, that's what I thought. It sounded like an unbelievable figure. Sorry to interrupt your, your point, but yeah, it, it's an amazing number, isn't it, really? Yeah, and I, the, well, the point I was making is that the, the two lads who are kind of in the media more, Lancaster and Leo Cullen, like do seem to get a lot of satisfaction from that part of the job as well. I think so. Like, I think you'd have to, wouldn't you? And I think there, look, there's, I, I think that's, if you love coaching, like that has to be the place where you can probably have the biggest impact. I think you can see the biggest gains amongst that kind of group of the squad. Um, so to my mind, I think um, that makes sense to me. And I think when I know, when you know both groups of, well, you know both guys a little bit, though, like obviously know Leo well, but, uh, you know, I don't know Stuart as well, but it seems to me that they do get a kick out of that. And I think that's having an impact. And I mean, sometimes you just want to go into a place like, so I think they, they get the best of both worlds. Like, I think they get to develop these younger guys and see them come through, but they also get to compete at the highest level, you know, in the Heineken Cup and in the league. Um, you know, and they've been involved in the, you know, the business end of both of those competitions nearly every year they've been there. So I think, um, it's a, it's a, that'll be a tough job to, to beat uh, at the moment. And I'm sure, look, at the same time, they're getting paid well. Like, I think the only job that would probably appeal more than this Leinster one, particularly to Leo anyway, is probably the Irish one. So um, they seem to have turned things around and that's it up. So it doesn't look like there's going to be an opportunity imminently there at least, uh, or at least until after the World Cup. So, um, yeah, I think I, I'm not surprised that we haven't heard many more murmurings of them kind of leaving. Um, and I think there's still lows for them to achieve and to, to de- pleasure to kind of derive um, from from doing the job on, on a day to day basis in Leinster. So uh, sometimes it's hard to let a good thing go. It's it's you know you don't want to overstay, but there's enough squad turnover there that you could actually say. Do you know the way Fer- it was? It Fergie always said, or someone always used to say, but Fergie every couple of years, you know, either the manager has to go or the players have to go. <laughs> you know, you've got. To- I think Leinster, you do see that kind of turnover. So. Um, I don't think there's this, there's a danger of them kind of of the message getting stale or or not having an impact. Yeah, as you say, it's interesting. Like at the end of next season, it's uh, I think that's when Leo Cullen and Stuart Lancaster's current contract is up. Johnny Sexton will be retiring, so like that could you know that would be potentially a time where there could be some sort of refresh. Certainly, there will be on the playing side anyway. Just to go back a little bit to to kind of Champions Cup final preparations, like obviously, does it, most of the squad at the weekend were involved in 2018 when they won the Champions Cup and in 2019 when they were beaten by Saracens. But there are a few key guys, Hugo Keenan, Caelan Doris, Ronan Kelleher, Dan Sheehan, who were going into their first final. Like, how different is that experience, your first final versus having been there before? Like, will it will it be, will it be a, not a difficult experience, but, it, but did you find a difference between playing in final number one and final number two? Uh, yeah. You do. Uh, you're you're definitely a little bit calmer going into it. I think um, 
you know, we were probably in such a good place um, going into Northampton. One, we probably, I don't know, what, it wasn't overconfidence, but it was certainly um, we were in a good place, well prepared, brilliant coach, brilliant team. Um, obviously, got off to an absolute stinker of a start in that match against Northampton, but um, there was certainly a, a certain level of familiarity around being in that level at, at that stage of the competition, and the team was also in a better place than it was in two thousand and nine. A little bit more sure of itself. A uh, couple more winners. We'd won in the international team as well at that stage with the Grand Slam in 09. So, I think um, probably a bit more confident at that stage uh, over ourselves at that level. Um, whereas 09, there was a bit of an unknown quantity. That was a brilliant Leicester team that we faced. We had gone through the kind of like a, a, a tough, like we got, like we obviously had Toulouse and, um, you know, we'd had, uh, sorry, um, excuse me, sorry, we'd Harlequins who were, who were pretty tough. Um, Munster. And Munster, sorry, at the semifinal, excuse me, sorry, I'm thinking of the of the Northampton year. Sorry, my, my apologies. Um, so we, we the Harlequins won away, which is a really big win. It was, I think it was 6-5 um, in, the, in the Bloodgate game. And then obviously Munster, who were such a good team at the time, like they were at the stage we were in 2011, 2012 at that stage. So that was a huge step for the team to take. But it still meant that we had to go to Leicester, who, you know, a couple of years prior to that, we'd had pretty rough experiences against them. Now we'd beaten them in the, in the RDS at one stage, but they really thumped us in, in, in Welford Road. Like, and they were still a very formidable outfit at that stage with some big names. Um so, yeah, there was a certain level of nervousness going into that game, I think. Um, you know, Rob Carney was obviously out injured, who's a bit of a stalwart back there for us at 15. Um, and, you know, I think um, we just weren't as sure of ourselves, even though we'd had a few good wins. Did, did you find that, we're, like, obviously you were kind of a new player in the team, a relatively new, you'd been there maybe two, two three years at that stage, but were, were the older players nervous? Like, kind of, or did you, or did you sense kind of, O'Driscoll, Leo Cullen, the guys who didn't know if they might get another shot, who had been waiting their whole careers to play in a Champions Cup final. Were, were, were they kind of a little nervous or what was there? What do you remember about their kind of... Uh, they behavior? were, I think. They were nervous. But I think what they were as well, they were a little bit desperate. Um, you could feel it off. I, I could feel it off Shane and... and, and um, Shane Darcy and, and, and Drico, I think particularly, who had been at the height of the game, uh, brilliant, brilliant rugby players, but had had the hurt, you know, had a lot of hurt in the competition from having brilliant years and, you know, big wins in quarterfinals and then collapses in semifinals and a few kind of situations like that. And they kind of were like, mm, you know, we had this little bit of success. We just thought we'd be back every year and we just do it the next year. But these don't come around that often. Now, as it turned out, we got a few more out of it, but um you could feel the desperation off those guys. And I think that's where I think that maybe fed through to the squad. I think there was a real, I think we were, I felt like once we got to that stage, we were going to do it. Um, it probably wasn't going to be in how everyone else thought we were going to do it. I felt like we might have the ability because of how driven some of the guys were and our key players were that we would kind of grind it out. Maybe if we had to, which probably we mightn't have been associated with this, that, that kind of Leinster team with that era before. Um, but certainly the week in the preparation before, like was un- it was it was excellent. We did left no stone unturned, um, but we were still in. Um, I still think we were in a nervous, more nervous place than we were in in the in the kind of finals that came after that. And I think that's probably normal, isn't it? You know, I think um, you know La Rochelle would have felt it obviously. You know, last year I was last year it was last year, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think um, you know they'll probably be a little bit calmer this time around, but they'll still know that it's you know. They might understand how hard it is to get back there because they've got back the next year after, but they'll still know that these chances don't come around that often. And um, there'll be a certain level of desperation from them, which I think will make it tough to beat them. Um, and um, 
Yeah, no, it was it was a really because we had there was probably a little bit of nervousness around maybe Johnny being in there as well. He had actually played some brilliant rugby that year, but Felipe was our guy at that time. You know, he was the you know he was a leader in the team. He'd gone through those tough days with with some of the more experienced guys who I'd mentioned earlier. Um, you know, had played brilliantly all season. Um, but you know, not having him there was probably a little bit of a you know, create a little bit of nervousness uh, about that, but. Oh, just Johnny, I think that's when we knew he was going to be one of the greats, you know, how, how he performed that semi-final against Munster. But the the drop kick in the final was just outrageous. Oh, yeah, it's funny. I just saw, I saw a clip of that, like, recently. Like, you know, I think the Champions Cup account tweeted. And I, I, I'd I seen it, obviously, at the time. But I was like, that does not get the kind of the coup. Like, that was it was an like, unbelievable kick. I think it was Darcy threw it into him, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. Darcy threw it in from, just, I think it was the left-hand side, wasn't it? And that's then, what Stane-esque, like, just... Like smashes, but he never had any doubt about it. Like, and even still, he could have even carried it like another five or six meters. Like the defense was miles away, um. But it was brilliant. It was a real statement of intent at the start of the game, and um, yeah, I couldn't really believe it went over. But I felt, you know, sometimes those things kind of calm you down in a final. You're kind of thinking, okay, well, you know, that's pretty unusual. Maybe this is going to be our day. Uh, and there was probably a few moments through the final, um, like that. I think, but um. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was an amazing experience to be a part of it all, and I think you know uh, there was a, a lot of guys who I was really I, I I was probably in the place where I felt like we'd be back every year, um, because I just felt like that was the way the team was going, um, and I was probably used to you know being in strong teams in school and stuff, so I, my expectation was always that I'd be in a strong team forever. I don't know why that was, but rightly or wrongly, uh, probably more right in, in, as it turned out in my career, but, um, you know, I think. Um, it was still, you still need a few of those moments in those games to, I, I think, calm you down and to make you, you know, make you feel like you belong there and that, um, you know, uh, it's kind of meant to be. And I think um, that was definitely one of those moments. So, like, he's a big game player and he's proved it throughout his whole career. Even at school, John, you'd obviously know you're a Mary's guy, aren't you? It's like, he was, uh, you probably would have watched him coming up as I would have. I mean, when he was 16, that drop kick against, I think it was Terenure, wasn't it? Like, evil kick. Yeah. So he's always had those moments. Um, Big game player, great to watch him in those games. I think he's, and then obviously he proved it in Northampton as well, you know. Yeah, it's funny. Just I, I was just saw an article earlier was about kind of the Sexton O'Gara element to the final, and there was that famous photo, was the main photo of him standing over on O'Gara, like shouting in his face at Croke Park. And I only realized that you're actually standing right beside. Sexton. I'm pulling him back. You can't see it. I put, I'm trying to pull, I'm like, don't even get involved in that shit. I know, ne- I yeah, always, like, do you remember the moment? Like, well, I didn't realize that Raj had kind of been. Um, Roger been giving him a lot of guff like anytime I think there was a kick out there was a kick that went out on the halfway line and they had a bit of an altercation there but Roger been kind of in his ear kind of saying some pretty choice stuff or pretty nasty stuff to him as you would like Roger's a complete competitor as Johnny is but I he think called him both, nobody apparently they were kind of yeah something along those lines and uh, that might have been the nice version of it but um <laughs> Yeah, I think there was there was a bit of that going on back and forth, and I didn't realize that. I was on the other side of the pitch, worried about Mark and Dougie Howlett, <laughs> slash shitting myself about Mark and Dougie Howlett, as I always was. Um, but um, yeah, when I when I was just kind of like, I oh, don't get involved in that. Like you just, it kind of it can fuel a fire in someone like Raj, and he might you know play out of the skin for the rest of the game. And as it turned out, it was our day, but. Um, yeah, it was an amazing moment, and I hadn't realized all like all the stuff that had gone on before. So he really gave it to him on on, on the line, um, and, and as it turned out, deservedly so. <laughs> um, but what a day that was, and I think that set us up, and and I think it gave Johnny massive confidence then going into the big games that he belonged in the in that Leinster ten shirt, and that he was the guy to be leading us on the big day. Um, 
so yeah, it was uh, it was a big day for 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 a lot of us. I think that monster game and, and and teed us up nicely. And I think as well, what's probably worth noting, will of course we didn't have we hadn't played in a final uh, prior to that. But I think the coaching staff was probably a little bit different as well before that. Uh, like when we when we went into that 09 final versus you know uh, Joe Schmidt, who obviously came afterwards. You know, we probably focused a little bit more on different things. Like, and I think Checker was always a guy who could really feed into your emotions like he's the guy i think you know if you were a team if you're ever an underdog type team Cheka was the guy you'd probably want there versus probably maybe a schmidt um just because i felt like he could really tap into raw emotions and bring you to places maybe that was possibly a little bit beyond you um someone might argue that the point differently with me with joe and that he could prepare you so well that you know you never he could possibly take it to those places too. But I just felt like Cheka could tap into the emotional side of the game. So you probably were a bit more worked up going into games, playing for Cheka. Um, and as it turned out, that was no bad thing on the big day either. Yeah. Like, so do you, do you think if Joe Schmidt was the coach in 2008, 2009 season, do you win that Heineken cup? I, I think you do with Joe as well. Like Joe, like Joe is brilliant too. You know, I think it is just in a different way. You know, maybe, but they sometimes say, oh, you like you needed Michael Checker to set the foundation and then Joe Schmick. I would in. probably like, be one of those people who would ascribe to that. Does uh, it work in reverse? Then, like, you know. Yeah, it's hard to reconcile the point that I don't like. I'm not 100% sure either way. I, I, I suppose I felt like Joe was really ahead of his time, but I do think he learned yeah. a huge amount of that at Claremont, you know, and he probably, you know, he was able to tap into the emotional side as well, probably just not as well as Checker, who was, you know, so emotional. Um, and it's what drives Checker on and everything he does. Like, you just feed off his energy. Um, I like I love playing for him. I just thought he was such a great guy as well. Um, whereas Joe was really a bit more cold and calculating, or sorry, definitely was. Um, but look, Checker had the technical side too. You just can't be a, t- a head coach if you don't have that too. And he was actually really creative at times as well. Like some brilliant moves, um, that he kind of came up with at different times. And um, probably is is a is, is a side that maybe isn't talked about Checker as much. He did have the technical side to to him as well, but just. The raw emotion is probably what what uh, what sticks out in everyone's mind because certainly that was um, something that was on show on a regular basis. Um, yeah. So, so when you're kind of like just before a big game like this, do you want to have that kind of fiery speech or do you want to have like kind of detailed tactical you know messages from your head coach? What 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 do you prefer? What do players generally prefer? Do you think? I think you, you you know what there's a probably a situational element to it as well during the week will like I think sometimes if people are like you want to enjoy the the, the build up as well people can get very uptight um, there can be other characters who want to just relax. They don't want to, you know, ex- expend any, en- any any energy. And actually, both of those type of players, I think, and I would have probably been more on the uptight side of things. Both of those type of players can actually upset your training week. They can be, they, you know, not train well, be over eager, over anxious to do well, be a little bit too uptight about things. And then there can be the other people who are saying, do you know what, I don't want to expend any energy. I'm just going to keep it off for their Saturday or Sunday. And they can actually train shy too. So you probably need someone just to to have you right in that sweet spot where you're everyone's on the same energy everyone's really buzzing for training but also really really accurate and that's what gives you great confidence i think coming into the weekend and of course look coming into the game i suppose the later i got in my career the more i really felt like it was much more important to be i think probably marry you have to marry the two you have you have to be calm but you also have to be really really clinical in your mind i think the commitment levels are always going to be there you know it's really unusual in a final where people aren't fully physically committed to the game it's so important that 
you, you get that that part right. But what you don't want to do is, and I find this is the, a mistake that most teams make, is they kind of overdo that part and end up making lots of kind of errors. Um, you know, oftentimes in a final, it can be, you know, the team that makes the least errors actually that, that comes through or that starts off the game better and calms down into the game a little bit more quickly. And I think I probably liked having a coach who was a probably, you know, quite calm. And actually, Cheka was good at this. He could he could do both. Um um, but Schmidt was 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 the master of that. I thought he had you prepared for every nearly as, as many scenarios that he could imagine. That he could imagine quite a few. He'd have you really really prepared and calm and cold going into the big moments. And I always think those teams do a little bit better because the physical side just goes without saying. And I think you can kind of build that up amongst the group. Uh, I would probably I, I would always say I never liked a coach coming in kind of roaring and shouting, um, particularly when I was playing in good teams. Uh, you just want the technical things. There were technical, like say for example Northampton. Um, it was all technical, you know. It was like the scrum's going wrong. This is why it's going wrong, uh, and actually, that was a massive turning point. But there was other parts where, you know, it was just a bit more calm. And then actually, the big kind of raw bit of emotion came from the from within the player group before we were going out from from Johnny and from a few others, uh, kind of leaders amongst the group. And that was probably the that, that that's the perfect combination. I think of what you want. You want people to say, "Look, we're watching this from." you know, 60 seats up and we're seeing this, this and this happening. If you do this, this and this, it'll correct those things and you'll be able to, you know, go and oppose yourselves upon the game. And then it's a matter of, you know, getting the player groups together and saying, right, let's go and deliver these things. Let's build up the energy here and let's quite build them, you know, and that's, um, that's always, I felt the best combination of, of kind of information and, uh, and emotion um, amongst the, amongst the team. And, and they're usually the teams that do well in the big ones. Yeah, kind of an off-topic question, but you were mentioning Joe Schmidt, and I probably asked you this before, but I can't remember if I have. You know, Joe Schmidt, the Leinster coach, versus Joe Schmidt, the Ireland coach. Was he different? Was there much of a difference between what he was like when he was coaching at club level versus how he went about his business when he was an international coach? No, I think, you know, he probably worried a little bit. He, I'm sure he would never admit this, but he probably worried a bit more that he didn't have the players on a day-to-day basis like he had in Leinster like he was he was such a good coach for like building in brilliant habits in your in 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 everything because he was like very much like a teacher you know he was and it's why I think sometimes great players don't make great coaches or you know you know people who things come naturally to often find it hard to explain how to do things I felt like he was always like he was a brilliant teacher um and look I think he was a good rugby player but not a great one but he probably was a guy who broke everything down into little portions and so when you're able to do those things, you're able to explain them brilliantly to people. And so he was able to build these brilliant habits on a daily basis because he was so good at explaining things from the teaching background. But I think he was also able to explain quite technical things and make them very simple for people. And having people day on a day-to-day basis meant those habits were just so ingrained in you. So I always felt like he maybe worried a little bit about that when he came, when you came into Irish camp, probably less so as he got further on um, in his career. But I just feel like... Um, that was maybe something that he that he didn't maybe cope as well with at times. He maybe got a little bit uptight about people knowing too much, having too much information, because he was worried about he didn't like he hasn't had them for the last twelve weeks between camps. Like what's been detrained? Like what have they unlearned to, since since they've gone away? And I know certainly there was a few coaches. I'm sure he thought that about when 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 they went back to their setups. Um, you know that all his hard work was being undone in those places because uh, he would have been watching the videos and saying that. Fecker, I've been trying to coach this out of him for, for for ages, and we, you know, we just spent ten weeks in Irish camp, and it looks like it's 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 gone back to to the status quo. So, um, I think that was maybe something that he worried about uh, as an Irish coach, but you'd probably never get that information from Joe. One of the last things I wanted to ask you about, kind of championship finals generally, is that period when you know, I know they fly over a bit early, and you're there, say in Marseille. I don't know if they'll go to Thursday or they'll go to Friday, but you're kind of there. 
maybe a bit differently to maybe some other big games like against Toulouse where they would have maybe gone over or they would have been at home or Leicester, they might have gone over on the day. It's a tricky to manage that period when you're like maybe two days in Marseille, say, kind of getting adjusted or is it are they just very used to that kind of thing now? I, do you know, I'd say they probably don't do that. I'd say they probably will go over Thursday afternoon, but having trained there. So like you just get a quick look at the stadium and you're into the hotel. I'd say most people are just getting rubs. You know, they're they're probably you, you might have a few people wandering around, but oftentimes they don't really stay in the heart of the city anymore either. You know, they, they probably stay somewhere that's reasonably close to the stadium, but not in the heart of the action. And look, you don't have to worry about guys in this in this area, you know, going out in the on the Raz or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever situation you might find yourself in back in the past. Um, certainly for my father's playing uh, playing days, it would have been very different. But um, I think um, you know, they, they just everyone has a, has very much a routine that they stick to for these things. Will and yes, it's a bigger match, uh, and there might be a bit more. And you, you probably do want to build it up a little bit more than normal. Like it is a huge occasion. You just don't want to leave any stone unturned. And you don't want to have gone into the match like undercooked from an emotional standpoint, too. You do have to build yourself up to a certain level for this thing. You just can't let it, I suppose, you know, overcome, you know, all the hard work you've done in terms of the, the, the mental preparation, like, you know, delivering on the, the technical side, etc. So um, I don't think there's any worry about those things anymore. I think particularly with Leinster, I'm not so sure about La Rochelle in terms of will they be used to it, but I would say Raj will. And I'd imagine you have them built up perfectly for this thing. So I don't think that'll be a factor. Um, and I think teams, you know, they do get better at those things as they, as they go along and as they experience more of these big moments. Leinster, obviously, you know, way more experienced than La Rochelle on that. But um, I think La Rochelle have enough in that setup to, to be able to deal with that pressure well. Okay, so time for final predictions then. Leinster are quite large favourites in the bookies. I believe they will get the job done at the weekend. Do you? Uh, I do. I do. I think, you know, they might struggle if Furlong's not there a little bit more than you would expect. Uh, but what I would say is, I think, you know, for all the reasons I outlined earlier on, I think they've they've added some nice little bits and nice components to their game that make them very, very difficult to stop. Um, I think their defence looks an awful lot better. And I actually thought that was the key thing that they lost out on last year. I thought they were way, way too passive against La Rochelle's big runners. Um, you know, you don't have to smash these guys, but you just have to make those collisions happen a little bit further back, Will. Uh, I think they'll do that this year. Uh, I think they've too many guys that are playing really, really at the top of their game and playing really well. And they look very clinical. And I think they'll just have a little bit too much um, for, for La Rochelle in the loose part of the game. It's just, you know, on the, on the flip side of that, you know, can they contain La Rochelle at those big set piece moments? Can they manage that where, look, I don't think they're going to be getting ahead of them. They might be able to in the line out, but certainly not at scrum time. I think that's something that you're just going to have to try and contain throughout the game. Uh, one way they can do that is less errors. Uh, you know, and another way they can do that is also by drilling really, really hard this week and hoping that they have all the personnel in there um, that can help them, I suppose, get over the hump there and just survive. Because that is unfortunately what it is like against this La Rochelle pack at scrum time. Like even, Jesus, like even Rassing really struggled to contain them there as well. So um, they're the threats that they pose. Um, and I think they are threats. They're certainly difficult to contain. But I think Lancer might have just a little bit too much and are playing too well uh, with too many big players playing well as well. I mean, Johnny Sexton probably is the big guy that was missing last year, really, um, that, of course, would make a big difference. So um, Lancer for me, Will, um, any any thoughts from, from you on maybe what, what to watch for, what you're looking out for in the game? Are you just so sure Lancer are going to? Are going to win it? You're not even. You're not even going to tune in. <laughs> Never going to happen. Well, I'm actually, I'm actually going to be over in Paris for the Champions League final, so hopefully I can uh, I can find somewhere to watch the rugby in in Paris, which I know even though Racing 92 and Stade Francais played, I don't think it's a rugby strong. You could be watching so a recorded be... version. I don't. You wouldn't. 
I, I no, no, I'll find, I'll find it back. <laughs> it's find on terrestrial TV in France, so I should be, I should be all right. Uh, yeah. What do you no, think? Yeah, what are you looking at for? I, I, I'll be interested to see if Skelton plays in particular. It looks like he will be fit in sh- some shape or form. Like, I just to see how Leinster handle him because that was like he he really ran roughshod last year, and he was really good in the final in Newcastle in 2019. So I just think how they deal with him will be something I'd be really intrigued to see. Because like, I, I think Leinster will win anyway. I think they're going to be playing at a really fast pace. And I don't know if La Rochelle, like Toulouse last weekend, will be able to live with it if Leinster play as well as they did against Toulouse. However, being able to deal with Will Skelton will be another string to their bow. And not just for Leinster in the club yeah, game. But they but have a few Ireland others as well, though. Aldred, like, he's a serious player. Like, you know yeah. what I'm talking like, Even that front row, Will, they're bulky guys. I mean... Yeah. There's a lot of yeah, them. There's no. a lot of big boys. Like I know Skelton obviously stands out, but I mean, no, for sure, like Aldrich, Antonio, like these guys are, are quality players. And mm. even from an international perspective, like Ireland are going to have to get the grips with guys like this over the next 18 months or so looking ahead to the World Cup. So the more exposure the Ireland team and a lot of the Leinster guys are on that team get to it, the better. So that's one of the things I am interested to see. You know, I do think the way Leinster are playing, even compared to last year, is going to kicked up another gear. And that's why I, I I'd be you know fairly confident that they will beat them. But yeah, you never know. Like it is a final. Like Leinster haven't won it the last couple of years, so you can't take anything for granted. As I mentioned, a few of these guys playing in their first final yeah. will that have any impact? The no, kicking thing, not. I think there's there's two things that I think that the kicking thing, the kicking differential between both kickers, like that's that's an issue for for La Rochelle. Um, you know, I think you know the other thing I'd be watching for is how much how much time the ball is in play for. You know, they might be able to kind of lessen the impact of that La Rochelle team if they can keep the ball in play for long periods of time. I think Munster showed it against that Toulouse back, as did Leinster. I know it was a week later, but even the week when, you know, Toulouse were fresh against Munster, big, big, huge pack. Like, if you can keep the ball in play um, and play at a really high pace and get quick rook ball, they do find it hard to, to get back in position and support their back line defensively. And um, you can kind of, you can, you know, you can run them fairly ragged if you, if you do that well. Um, and also you can take a bit of steam out of them at, at, uh, at set piece time if they're tired. So there are probably two things that might play. Um, you know, if they, if the ball is slow, if it's, in, if it's not in play for long periods of time, if it's set piece to set piece, um, the kicking might play, but uh, you know, it might be too hard to, to stop them. So yeah, that's, that's, that's the, that's the negative side. That's how, that's how the yeah, other result also- happens. I'm also intrigued to see the intangible kind of part of the, you know, the atmosphere in Marseille, like how many La Rochelle fans are there versus how many Leinster fans. Like Leo Cullen mentioned that even when French teams are playing in like neutral venues, they do, it does seem, it, it seems to energize them. Like, you know, when, when you played against Claremont in that semifinal, I think that was in Bordeaux, like not in Claremont, but it felt like, you know, a home game for them. It just, there's oh, something about the atmosphere. Yeah. They, they actually some of the atmosphere in France. I, I'll be interested to see because Leinster fans have traveled well to, to some of these big games. So, but it's only been two weeks' notice to, to book flights and, and book accommodation in Marseille is not ideal. So, it'll be very interesting to see from that point of view, even if there's a big balance of power to La Rochelle. I think the flight thing is a little messy as well. So, you mightn't have huge numbers. Like, and I think, look, the one thing for Leinster is that they probably have to, the game plan that they play, they probably have to be a little bit less. You know, a little probably a little less emotional than 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 um, La Rochelle have to be because they've got to deliver on the technical stuff. Like they have to be passing brilliantly. They can't drop too many balls because they don't want too many scrums. Um, you know, so you know their game plan requires a little bit more calmness. Um, so there's a danger in that too. You know, they because they also have to marry that with a brilliant defensive performance and a really physical one. So, um, that there, yeah, and and they might not have as many supporters to to get them. You know, if they're on the line. 
you know, are they going to be able to hold out? Like at the end of the day against Claremont, like it was a drop ball over the line, you know, from, um, oh God, the brilliant Fafana. center, Fafana, excuse me, uh, against us that saved the day. So very well could have been talking about a very different result that day, but you're right. The emotion the French sides play on, uh, it'll suit that game plan that they're playing too, where it's, you know, they're kind of grinding you out. It's a physical battle. They, you know, set piece to set piece. Having, a, you know, having that on home, on home turf does make a difference. So it'd be interesting if, if those two things play and if Leinster can actually disassociate themselves from that and be cold and calculated. It is a final. Hard, harder to do it then, no matter what you say. Yeah, well, it is set up to be an absolute belter and here's hoping we get a great game at the weekend. But for now, that's all we have time for on the left wing. We will be back next week with another podcast reviewing the Champions Cup final. In the meantime, you could subscribe to us on Spotify, SoundCloud, or listen on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye.